Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 62 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to the works of writer, director, producer J.J. Abrams and his extended Bad Robot universe. I'm Matt Crandall here with my co-host Marcelo Inestroza. We are currently doing our Lost rewatch. We are in season five. Today we are talking about episodes five, six, and seven. First up in that batch is episode five, This Place is Death, which starts to time jump around and we pick up with Jin. Marcella, what did you think now that we're spending a lot more time with Jin, who up until last week we thought was dead and now we're hanging out with the guy for almost the entire episode? The thing that I loved most about this episode is seeing Jin sort of interact with Russo's people on the boat. I love the fact that as Jin was trying to explain to them that the island is different, of course there was a language barrier there, but all throughout the specific scenes I kept going, you people have no idea what you are dealing with. It came to such a point where uh, Russo's people wanted to go to a specific radio tower to plant a beacon. On the way to go and plant the beacon, they uh, get caught by the smoke monster and a bunch of them get killed. After that happens, Jin starts jumping through time. And the next thing that Jin sees is Russo presumably killing the father of her child. I really like how this opening sequence really gave us an explanation to how Russo's madness began. If you guys were listening last week, the one big question that we had was what was Sun going to do to Ben? Was she going to kill him or was she not going to kill him? You know, there was a bunch of questions. If she went through with it, there was that question of Aaron. There were all these big questions in the air from last week. You know, we weren't sure if Ben had the knowledge that Jin was still alive or not because Ben left the island before all of that. But as this batch of episodes does fill in, he had that knowledge. So when Sun did seem like she was in a position to kill Ben and really escalate things and screw up the plan, he just simply says, well, if you do that, you'll never you'll never know what's going on because I want to get back to the island. You should want to get back to the island because your husband is not dead. He's there. And that's new information to her and her processing that. And of course, not trusting Ben and needing to find some way to reconcile whether this guy is lying as per usual or he can be trusted. And he says, come with me and I can prove it to you. And as the episode goes, we find out that that was basically him just stalling for time. And the proof that he had, he had that he could have shown her there, but it was just him trying to to advance his his wants and his needs rather than keeping her best interest in mind. But I thought Yunjin Kim was awesome in those moments where she's starting to realize the possibility that maybe Jin is not dead. And that was amazing. And seeing Jin on the island jumping through time, you know, he did spend a lot of time with Russo in the limited scenes we had last time. And this time it's like a ticking clock because as he's going with them through the jungle, we know shit goes bad for these people because we've heard from Rousseau 
in the present time before she died that her whole team went crazy. She had to kill them because they were infected. And so when Jin's hanging out with them, it's like, oh no, when is this going to go down? And I did love that the thing that makes Russo's team go bad is that they do find the smoke monster. They have a run in. It disappears under the walls of what we later learn to be called the temple. And they go down and Jin's like, don't, don't go down there. But luckily the time jumps happen at the exact perfect moments where Jin gets out of some near scrapes quite a few times. But I loved that. And then having see those events of Russo's team be infected and go nuts and her kill them was great. But then finally that moment when Jin meets up with our time traveling losties was the moment that we've been waiting for uh, for a couple of episodes. And I love that they are all back together on the Island as it's jumping through time. And in those moments, we find out that Locke is still on his journey where he wants to fix whatever is happening with the Island. And he is going to to do whatever it takes to to fix this time jumping thing and jin says to him if you get off the island do not tell sun that i am alive i don't want her to worry about me i don't want her coming back and i thought that was a nice moment and Locke does promise that he won't tell her because he doesn't want to cause more heartache and at this point, Locke is still not sure what is going to happen with him and and what he's going to necessarily have to do. But I do love that he makes that promise. And we know that once Sun find, finds out, she's not going to let that go. But it was interesting that there is that moment where we learn that Jin doesn't want that knowledge to come to light because he wants her to move on and just have the the good life off the island and not worry about him. Were you surprised when he made Locke promise not to tell? Like you, I knew that somehow the spirit of the island or, you know, or fate would draw Sun back. But the one thing that I've been kind of feeling as we've been going through the season so far is that in multiple scenes, whether they be on the island or off the island, our characters seem to still hold on to the hope that they can control their fate. I wish there was one character that said, besides John Locke, that said, no, we have to go back to the island for this reason. And no matter what we do, it's it's written in the stars, but there isn't a character like that. If that little story cork that the writers put into uh, the characters didn't exist, their their journey back to the island wouldn't be so painful for some of them. There is one more thing. I'm just going to touch on just, just a little bit because I don't want to spend too much time on this character because I kind of don't like her, but I appreciated how... She ended. I really appreciated the way that um, Scarlet's story ended up. 
I didn't really like the exposition the exposition dump that she had uh, with Daniel in her last moments before death. But I was like, mm, okay, fine, that's acceptable. The one person, Michael Giacchino, he took a moment that I really didn't care about, and he used the power of his talent, and he made me feel something in just that small little moment. The reason why Michael is my favorite composer of all time, because he has a specific way to use music that just cuts into your soul in a specific way. I just love his ability to make the audience feel something for characters that you may not necessarily care that much about. They use Life and Death by Giacchino almost any time somebody dies on Lost, but they always find a way to weave it in so that it feels fresh and new. And I did like that moment. And it's supposed to be some sort of powerful revelation when as Charlotte is dying, she says that, you know, I had a run-in when I was a kid and a crazy man told me never to come back to the island or I would die. And now I'm realizing, Daniel, that man was you. And then she croaks and it's kind of like ironic and sad, but this character was never that likable because we never felt we could trust her. So when she dies, yes, Daniel has a close connection to her and we like Daniel, but she oftentimes lied about stuff or left out big, big part portions of truth that maybe would endear her more to us. So it's not a gut punch moment. It's like, a, oh, that's sad for Daniel kind of moment, but that's it. Whereas other times in Lost, the character deaths can take your breath away. This was not one of those moments for me. I just thought, okay, yeah, that's too bad. And we still just didn't know very much about Charlotte that maybe if they fill in those blanks, I would care more. But without retroactively going back and adding more depth and empathy for me to that character, it's just something that happened in this episode. It's not a memorable moment. And even when we started this rewatch, I forgot Charlotte even existed, to be honest. Like, you know, Faraday, obviously a big character, but some of the other people that showed up in those moments, I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about that person because they don't make that big of an impact during their time. But making a big impact, the other important thing that happens on the island in this episode that is crazy is that Locke goes down and he goes down and he goes down, breaks his leg. Um, he's hurt. And Christian shows up and says, Hey man, uh, Ben fucked up. When I told you that you had to move the Island, John Locke, I told you that you had to move the Island. So Benjamin Linus was not part of this equation. So him spinning this wheel didn't do what I wanted overall because it, it was always meant to be you. So I love when, and then Locke's like, Hey, can you help me? And Christian's like, no, you got to do this yourself. And so Locke goes into the room with the frozen wheel and it's off his axis and the light is coming out of it. And Locke struggles and uses all his might because he's so hurt to spin the wheel. And then as the light starts to go, and everything's going crazy. Christian says, say hello to my son. And John Locke says, who's your son? And then Locke, the light envelops us. And I just thought, 
It was cool that Locke got to serve a purpose. I thought it was kind of childish of Ghost Christian slash the spirit of the island to be so literal and not have made a point earlier that John Locke to move the island, not just that the island needed to be moved. When somebody tells you a bad pun or something, when he revealed that information, I was like, fuck you. He was right, but I just thought, oh my God, come on. The way that Lost reveals information, it's the most interesting, but it's the most frustrating thing of all of my favorite shows and the most intriguing uh, uh, way to give the audience sort of uh, exposition. If Christian wanted John to move the island, why the hell was it Christian, the one that, that... that that spoke to John. Why doesn't somebody else speak to John? Because that is the person that has the problem with Ben, if I'm remembering correctly. And that guy doesn't even show up for a while yet. Jesus Christ, why does it have to be Christian? The way that Christian didn't help John get to the wheel after he fell down the goddamn well and he broke his leg, I thought that was a bit much. I'm like, really, guys? You gotta do it yourself. And then... The final scene of this episode is that so Ben has rounded up part of the troops after that sun showdown, Saeed and Kate, they go their separate ways, but a few of them do go with Ben. And I love that as they are approaching the church where they are going to meet up with Eloise Hawking, Desmond shows up and is like, yo, what's up guys? Are you guys looking for Faraday's mother too? And Ben kind of looks at him like, the hell are you doing here? And then they all go in and they find Eloise Hawking, the woman that has talked to Desmond as he was traveling through time in his consciousness. And we see that it is her in this weird church. And she looks at Ben and says, you only got four people. Where are the rest of them? And he says, this is all I could get on short notice. And she says, okay, let's get started. And then we move on to episode six of season five, 316, 316 is the episode. And in this one, we find out how they are going to get back to the island. Marcelo, we're not going to Guam, are we? We are not going to Guam. I hate the fact that they show you something and then they turn halfway around and say, we're going to. We're going to show you this. We're going to get you all interested in this. At the end of the day, we're going to turn halfway around and say, no, the real way to get what you want is to go this way. With that being said, I love this scene when our losties meet up with Daniel's mother and Daniel's mother basically takes them to a room within the church that has this giant sort of compass on the floor And, you know, just above the floor, you have this giant pendulum. And she goes into this whole story about how the Dharma Initiative figured out that the island is moving through time. But the engineers, basically, who made this machine, they figured out that the easiest way to find the island is not to to physically find where it's going to be, to find out when it's going to be. After Daniel's mother just basically explains how they're going to get back to the island. 
you know, the part that really pissed me off is that after she does that, she says, okay, so I, I just told you all this about how the Dharma Initiative found the island. To, to physically get back on the island, you guys have to charter a plane that's going to fly to this time pocket. And I was like, really? That was kind of annoying to me. And for a split second, I didn't like it. But as the episode you know, went on and I realized what they were doing and that this episode was a perfect circle, I was like, okay, I'm in. I love it. When Daniel's mother finishes her briefing, she takes Jack uh, back to a room and she gives Jack a specific letter from an individual. So I'm going to let Matt address that. After Daniel's mother explains this thing to the entire group, Desmond basically goes, um, okay, lady, I came here to tell you that Daniel needed your help. And Daniel's mother says, I'm helping. Desmond turns halfway around and storms out. You had to subconsciously know that this woman was going to tell you one thing, but then turn halfway around and then tell you something else. I, I don't like the way that, um, that that scene played out. I didn't mind it only because Desmond has fucking flown halfway around the world and almost derailed his life to track this woman down, thinking that he was doing Daniel some grand favor. And he finally finds her and she goes, I fucking know that already, dipshit. Get out of my sight, basically is like the Coles notes version of what she says to him. And I would just think like, I went and talked to my arch nemesis, Charles Widmore to find out who you were and what you were. I traveled from the UK to the United States and you can't even acknowledge that you're going to message received. Like you're not doing anything different than you were already doing. So I kind of get why Desmond is mad because he has upended his life thinking that if he didn't deliver this message, then Eloise Hawking would never do whatever Daniel needed her to do. So when he delivers this message and she basically says, no shit, dummy, he's like, well, get out of my life. Fuck you. What did I do this for? Um, so I get, I get it from that point of view. As a viewer, it's super unsatisfying that, you know, Desmond got wrapped up in this seemingly for nothing at this point because she doesn't even acknowledge that that information means anything. She just says, yeah, I'm already doing it. Like, thanks. Thanks for coming to the party. Jack off. So I, I thought, man, that was really a frustrating and disappointing end to the Desmond being involved, unless it becomes something bigger later. But right now it just looked like a way to keep, uh, Desmond in the show for an extra four episodes that he didn't need to be in, which is fine. Cause I love Desmond, but that's what it feels like initially because there was some big buildup to his search. And then also when he realizes it's the woman who has messed with him previous and kept him from changing the course of things, he's kind of taken aback and pissed off that like if Daniel had showed him a picture of his mother, Desmond would have said, I ain't seeking this woman out no matter what, because I hate this lady. So I feel like that was kind of all of that coming to a head in that moment. So I didn't find it disappointing in terms of what happened 
but as a viewer expecting something larger or more important to happen, then definitely it was a, a down note in an episode that's full of high notes written by Carlton and Damon. The episode starts with classic lost. It is a shot of Jack's eye opening and he is in the jungle and they pull a, a JJ Abrams classic by the opening scene is everyone waking up back on the Island, Jack Hurley, Kate. And then it says 46 hours earlier. So that in medias res opening is vintage JJ Abrams, bad robot signature style. And it's not something that lost has done very often. It's more out of the alias playbook, but it works because it shows us they do get back and then it fills in the blanks of how, and I think some of the how was a little bit suspect where I do love that. Like you said, Eloise says, you know, this machine pinpoints when the Island is going to be and all this stuff, but making it like, okay, we have to recreate the conditions that brought you to the Island as precisely as possible. So much so that you guys need to be on the plane, hopefully sit in similar positions to where you were. We need a dead body to stand in for Christian Shepard's dead body. So John Locke gets loaded onto the plane. We also need that body to have something of Christians on it to kind of trick whatever mystical force it is. So in a wizard of Oz like moment, Jack goes to get the magic slippers that used to belong to Christian. So they introduce his grandfather who we've never seen before played by Arlo Givens from justified Raylan's father. And Jack grabs the shoes, takes them on the body and they set up the perfect recreation of flight 815 on a Jira air 316. And I did think that part of that was a lot of fun where we're seeing everybody back Hurley tries to buy out most of the seats so that a lot of people won't be stranded who don't need to be. And that was a fun moment. But then seeing Kate and Saeed and everybody back on the flight, knowing that some weird shit at some point is going to happen. And then when the overall uh, over speakers start to announce that they're taking off and the pilot says that his name's Frank Lapidus, it's like, oh man, conditions are perfect. And as you mentioned, Jack does get an important letter, Locke's suicide note, or so we're told. It's like a, a letter to Jack that Locke wrote at the time of his death, and he does open it, and it's only a one-liner. Marcelo, what did you think? After all this struggling, if he was going to open the note or not, and then he gets it, and it's just a very simple, Jack, I wished you had believed me. It was indeed uh a gut punch. I really can't address my favorite moments of, of of this week until we move on to the next episode. But the one thing that I will say is that sitting here watching you sort of justify everything that I didn't like about this episode in the way that they, our losses were told to get back to the island, I think that you made me actually like everything I didn't like about this episode. And just okay. that in <laughs> just that one explanation. Because if you think about it, that's storytelling. It's it's maddening. It's frustrating. But that's storytelling at the end of at the end of the day. Seeing all those uh bad robot touchstones and even some touchstones 
uh, from Alias really made this episode sing for me. And now I'm just realizing that. They took a lot of like the tried, tested, and true ways of telling the story, and they gave them sort of a, a fresh coat of paint. And I just love that because we know they do get back to the island, this whole 40 minutes that follows is us waiting for like the magic moment where they get whisked away into back to the island and to figure out if it's going to have to be a massive plane crash or what's going to happen. And we don't get all of those answers until the next episode, which is another Damon and Carlton joint with two back-to-back episodes. They wrote, you know that they are going to be heavy, heavy hitters in terms of what happens. And finally on episode 507, the life and death of Jeremy Bentham, we hang out with our dude, John Locke and find out how the events transpired after he got off the Island and he went to go visit everyone, which we know he did because they kept mentioning Jeremy Bentham came to see them, which I still call BS on, but Marcelo, what did you think of the adventures of John Locke, AKA Jeremy Bentham as he goes through his travels to try and get the team back together which we know is ultimately a fool's errand because it doesn't happen until he is dead. I love this episode, but at the same time, it frustrated the hell out of me. I think that's what uh, Carlton and Damon wanted. And the thing that was so disheartening to me is that as John went to every member of our Losties trying to convince them to get back on the island with him, he was rejected again and again and again and again. First, he goes and sees a particular individual that me and Matt uh, haven't been too keen on. And he lies to this individual in an effort not to break this individual's heart. And that, that individual that he goes to see first is Walt. He goes to see Saeed, who is building houses somewhere. And he tries to explain that he has a greater purpose. And Saeed, you know... Uh, we have to go back to the island because of this, 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 and this. Doesn't work. When he goes to see Kate, and he tries to he tries to convince Kate to go back, and Kate says something that is tremendously heartbreaking to me. You know what, John? I think the reason why you love the island so much is because you've never been in love. You know, the camera pans over to. Terry Quinn for a second and he goes I have been in love her name was Helen and at some point in the episode uh, Matthew Abaddon or Agent Broyles from Fringe <laughs> takes John to a grave site and it turns out that Helen died of a brain hemorrhage I keep thinking to myself if John would have gotten over all of his personal shit, none of this would have happened. He had a way out, but because he needed that validation from a son of a bitch father, he ruined his life. That Kate scene, which is like a a scene where he says to her, you know, I was in love and it didn't work out. And she says, well, why didn't it work out? He says, well, I guess it was because I was angry and obsessed. And Kate says, well, look how far you've come. 
sarcastically like, uh, you're still that same angry and obsessed little man, you piece of shit. And that moment puts Locke in his place so quick. And this is after he's already talked to Saeed and Hugo and some people. And he's realizing that he thought it was going to be easy to round up these people. And he would just say to them, guys, we got to go back. And they would go, oh, shoot, we do. Okay, let's go. And it is not turning out that way at all. And Locke knows that his destiny is going to be whatever his destiny is. So he's not getting super stressed out at this moment. But when he does realize that Helen is dead, and even if things had worked out, Abaddon says, you know, she is where she is supposed to be. And you are supposed to be on the island. So even if you had worked it out, she still would have died. You wouldn't have been happy. And all of this shit still would have gone sideways. So at least now you get to go back to the island is what Abaddon says to him. And it's, it's one of those, you know, fate. Do you have a say in everything moments? And John Locke has doubled down on his importance, partly because earlier in the episode, when he first transports back to the Tunisian desert and he's got his broken leg and he's stuck there. And there's some cameras watching and some people round him up and bring him and he gets his leg fixed up by a doctor. The first person who comes to his bedside is Charles Widmore. And Widmore says, Locke, you are the guy. You are the guy who is going to basically bring balance to the force. Like you are the one. And if you don't go back to the island, there is a war coming and if you're not there, the wrong side is going to win. You are the Luke Skywalker of this story. I've been waiting for you for 40 odd years because we met on the island and, you know, Richard and all of that. How long ago was that for you? And Locke says it was only four days. And he says, well, I've been waiting a lifetime for you to come back. So make sure you get back to the island because... This war is coming and we need to make sure you're there. Now, the other thing, he gives him the fake identity of Jeremy Bentham and hands him a Canadian passport. When Locke goes to visit everyone, he never calls himself Jeremy Bentham. He's wearing a name tag that says Jeremy Bentham when he goes to see Hurley, but he never introduces himself as that. So it does strengthen my theory like that was just some... TV writers BS when everybody kept calling him Jeremy Bentham last year because nobody even once addresses him that way, nor does he address himself that way, even though we know that is what it is. What did you think when Widmore lays all of this out saying that Locke is the linchpin in protecting the island during this big event that is is going to happen? And when Locke is reunited with Abaddon, who Locke knows from being the orderly who set him on the walkabout. We know that there's more going on than Widmore and Abaddon are letting on. What were you thinking as all that's playing out? Uh, to take one of your points, Matt said basically John Locke is the uh, is a Luke Skywalker of the series. I went bullshit. That's what Widmore is telling him. He's telling him, you are the Luke Skywalker. 
So mm-hmm. I don't think he's the Luke Skywalker, but I felt that was what Widmore was trying to make John think. I said earlier that this is my favorite episode that we get to talk about this week, but the main reason why I like it so much is because I feel that John Locke reached a point of acceptance in this episode. And as hard as he tried, he just couldn't get it done. And in the back of my mind, I I felt that once he realized that, subconsciously, after so many failures, Locke knew that the only person that could bring everybody together and convince everybody to get on to, to get on that plane to go back to the island was Jack. I think that is a key character point that Carlton and Damon came up with at some point. And I just love the way that Terry O'Quinn played that moment. Specifically that conversation with Jack and Locke in the hospital where Jack, I'm paraphrasing here, but Jack says, maybe you're just a lonely, scared old man. Just leave everybody alone and, and, and live your life. I do think that that scene was one of the best scenes of the episode where, you know, Fox and Terry O'Quinn are doing some great work. And it is still that same old familiar Locke thinks that they are important, that he is important, and Jack doesn't see it. And Locke knows that if, yeah, if he gets Jack to agree to come back to the island, the others will fall in line. But in those moments, and he even tries to appeal to Jack's better nature by saying, your father said to say hi to you. And this doesn't play with Jack, even though Locke explains to him all of it. Jack doesn't care. He doesn't care if Christian is on the island and imploring him to come back. Jack is still pissed off. And he says, look, the whole time I've known you, you always think that you are so special, but there is no destiny. It is not our destiny to return. You know, leave me alone because none of us, none of us, not me, not you. None of us are important. We never were. Get over it, you sad, bitter old man. And I I thought that that was still that man of faith, man of science battle, butting heads, even after all they've been through. And Locke, in that despair, realizing that he couldn't get Jack on his side and that this mission to get them all to come back of their own, you know, free will is not working out. He spends a couple of months trying to do it. There's a bit of a time jump. And that is when we see Locke on the verge of suicide, getting a noose ready with an electrical cord in his apartment. He writes that line to Jack. I wish you had believed me. And part of this, we still think, could be because Richard did tell John, you need to bring them back even if you have to die to do it. So even though Locke is distraught and he is at the end of his literal rope, there is still that thing that we don't know if he has given up on this special, this notion of being special, or if this 
thing that Richard did say to him is still in the back of his mind. But what is super interesting is that just as he's about to kill himself, Ben shows up. Now, earlier in the episode, Matthew Abaddon got gunned down. Um, he got murdered. Ben shows up. We find out that it was Ben who killed Abaddon, saying that he was working for Charles Widmore. He would have killed Locke in the end because Widmore would have been done with him. And Widmore is the reason that Ben moved the island in the first place because Widmore is the ultimate evil. And Ben gives this big speech to make sure that John Locke does not kill himself so that he will not do this thing that he is about to do. And he says to him, Jack booked a ticket. Jack booked a ticket on a plane from LA to Sydney. And it is that moment where Locke realizes that maybe somehow there is still hope that Jack can be brought to his side. He agrees that he won't off himself in that moment. And then, unfortunately, Locke says too much. So first Locke divulges the thing about Jin being alive and that he promised not to bring him back and that he brought the ring, blah, blah, blah. But none of that, all that's cool with Ben. Ben is surprised that Jin is alive. But the thing that sets Ben off and is still a question mark for us by the time this episode ends is that Locke says, I know what I got to do next if I'm not going to kill myself and I'm going to keep trying. I got to track down this lady, Eloise Hawking in Los Angeles. And Ben goes, do you know this woman? And Locke says, no, I don't know her, but I know that that's where I got to go. And then Ben strangles Locke with the extension cord that he was going to use to off himself in the first place. So that turn in that moment was super interesting because Locke was on the verge of suicide. Ben stopped him, but then Ben murders him. I was screaming at the TV. I was screaming, but I was doing it inside. I have flip-flopped so many times on Benjamin Linus, by extension, the performance of uh, Michael Emerson. The way that Ben presents himself to be the hero of his own story, I love it, but I hate it at the same time. And, you know, this was really the saddest point of the episode for me. You know, you said it. You know, John says a little bit too much, and he mentions a specific young lady. Ben snaps and he and he kills John with the extension cord. I didn't focus so much on the Eloise Hawkins line. What I focused on was earlier when Ben was helping um, Locke down from trying to kill himself. He said to Ben, "I promised, I promised Jin that I wouldn't bring Son back." I knew that. Locke was going to die in this moment. For a split second, I was like, if Ben kills Locke, could his reasoning be that he needed to replace the person that is not going to get on the plane? I thought Ben wanted to swap John Locke for, for, for Son. I'm very, very intrigued. 
And I want to find out why is this person so important to Ben? Yeah. Why? And does that, the fact that Locke was going to go visit Eloise Hawking, why is that the thing that set Ben off? Because Ben brings the others to see Eloise Hawking. No problem. Is it just asserting that in those moments, Ben realizes that if John does visit her, John could successfully bring everyone back to the island without Ben being needed and that Ben would be left behind again. And maybe he just realizes he can't have that happen for him to be involved, but it's a a rash decision. And the on Island stuff, we do meet some of the new people who were on the plane, Caesar and Alana. I don't really know much about these other new characters, but as John Locke is fully alive on the Island, we should mention is a, a very interesting point. Locke is back from the dead after the plane went down and people say to him, do you know where we are and what we are? And Locke says, yeah, uh, we're on this Island. I spent three months here. It's a great place. We should all be psyched to be here. And they say we were on the flight. Shit went down. People disappeared. And Locke says people disappeared. And they're like, how did you get on the plane? He says, I have no idea. They said, well, one of the guys who disappeared was this heavy guy with curly hair And then Locke starts connecting the dots because he's looking for a manifest to find out who was on the plane to see if any of his other buddies managed to come back. But when he gets confirmation that one of the people that disappeared was Hurley, he pretty much knows, okay, somehow against all odds, his plan did work. He has managed to bring back, hopefully enough of the group back to the Island that something is happening. And certainly something is happening. If John is no longer dead, but he is alive. And the moment the episode ends is when he is in a a bunker where they have the people who were injured during the plane crash. And they say, you know, do you recognize anybody? And he looks over, he goes, yeah, I, I recognize this motherfucker. It's the man who killed me. And then we see a bloodied and bruised Benjamin Linus unconscious in bed. So Ben has made it back to the island with them. He was not one of the special ones who disappeared off the plane as if he was destined to return. He is just with the random, sorry you happened to be on that plane, uh, collateral damage of this supernatural event that had taken place. Marcelo, what did you think when you see Ben lying in that bed? Perfect. That was just, that was just perfect. I went through so many emotions throughout all the episodes that we talked about this week, but that ending made all of them go away. It's like into paper. Something is going to happen, but I'm very, very interested to see how we're going to get there or to get to a certain place that I'm really excited to hear you talk about uh, in just a couple weeks, Matt. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun going forward to see what they've got up their sleeve because there is a lot of weird stuff that's going to be going down on the island as we move forward. So if you are doing the homework and watching along with us, next week we will be talking about Season 5, Episodes 8, 9, and 10 as we continue and find out what will happen now that everyone including that bastard Benjamin Linus, who was told he could never return, are back on the island. If you guys are enjoying the show, please rate, review, follow, 
let people know. If you have any questions for us, you can tweet using the hashtag Radio815, or we are on Twitter at JJUniverse815. If you want to reach out and get in touch with me, I am on Twitter at Matt Crandall. Marcelo is also on Twitter. What's your handle there, Marcelo? Uh, my handle there is CreekFanatic88. So you can hit either of us up if you have any questions or comments. Otherwise, we hope you are all doing well and enjoying our time on the island in the sun as we get ready for this back half of Lost Season 5. Thanks so much for listening. Until next week, Radio 815 over and out.